Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is somebody that I've admired from afar for a long time, and now I get to see her via Zoom and have a podcast with her, my friend Carolyn Pearson. Welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Thank you so much, Richard. It's an honor to be here with you and all of the great people who are listening. And... um Listeners, I've just felt impressed over the last couple months to have Carolyn Pearson on the podcast. Most of you are probably familiar with Carolyn, but there are perhaps some listeners that aren't. And I want to make sure that you are connected with Carolyn Pearson and her work, particularly her books. And um, I'm just going to, before we get in, I'm just going to highlight um, four or five books that we may get into the first one I'm going to highlight was written, in, I believe, in 1986. It's called Goodbye, I Love You. And we'll talk about that one, about Carolyn's husband, Gerald, who died of AIDS, um, I believe, in 1984. The next book is No More Goodbye, Circling the Wagon Surround Our Gay Loved Ones, which I believe was written about 20 years later in 2007. Then we're going to talk about three more recent books. Um, I'll Walk With You, terrific children's book. There's also a song in the primary hymn book written by Carolyn Pearson to the same words. Um, Book number four would be Finding Mother God, written it also at about 2020. And book number five, The Love Love Map, Saving Your Love Relationship and Incidentally Saving the World. And we could do two-hour podcasts in each one of these books, but we're going to try let's to do, do it. it. <laughs> let's do it. I've got the time. <laughs> Carol, and, um, but we're going to try to do an overview. And in the show notes, we'll, list, we'll link to Carolyn Pearson's website. It's carolynpearson.com. And she has a store there where you can see these five books plus all the books she's written. And I just felt impressed that to connect you, our listeners, with her work. And then so that you can listen to her other podcasts, especially on the Faith Matters platform and other areas where she spoke and read her books. They're terrific books. Now, on a personal note, and I briefly mentioned this to Carolyn before we went live, I, I read these two books, um, Goodbye, I Love You and No More Goodbyes, before my YSA assignment about eight years ago. I read those books prior to my YSA assignment, and I didn't really have anything to do with the good information Carolyn was teaching me. I didn't have any gay people in my life, gay kids, gay family members. But one day, as a YSA bishop, a YSA walked in and had the courage to tell me he was gay. And the things I fell back on were the things that Carolyn taught me in these books. And finally, I had a place to use the things that she shared with me to hopefully help this brave young man, some of those things, this wasn't a choice, and he couldn't probably do anything to undo it, and I needed to love and support him the way Carolyn taught me. So, Carolyn, I'm emotional right now because of you, in my mind, are the matriarch of this space in our church. You're the first author that I know that wrote in a kind way about gay LGBTQ people way back in 1986 and wrote this book. And then have continued to write and talk about it. And you gave me tools during that time. And I bet I speak for thousands of other Latter-day Saints. The tools you gave parents, me a bishop, friends, as they read your work to know what to do in these situations. I had no formal church training on what to do, 
except the principles that you taught. And then as I ended that Y assignment, I felt impressed to do what you've been doing for a long time is be an ally for LGBTQ friends. So I just want you to know, Carolyn, I can see you and I have tears in my eyes. And I speak for me, but I probably speak for hundreds and hundreds of other people in our faith for the work that you've done. And I'm not speaking even for the LGBTQ people that are the best beneficiaries of what you've done because you've helped to lighten their load and you've helped to teach us how to love them and you've given them hope in their future through your work. So you're probably uncomfortable with the public just thanking, but I just want you to know that, Carolyn. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I can get very emotional, too, about all of this. I really, really can. Because it's worth getting emotional about. If we're not emotional about this, there's something wrong with us. So thank you, Richard. So at this point, you know, I've kind of given you five books that you could talk about, or just I just want you to talk to our listeners about what's in your heart. Sure. Well, then let's just jump into that first story, because, um, I mean, you and I can make the assumption that everybody knows my, my background story, <laughs> but there will be some yeah. of your listeners who won't. Good. So let, let me just briefly uh, talk about what led up to that first book. Well, let me go back even further. Uh, indeed, I I fell in love with and married a fine young man named Gerald Pearson. And before we married, he told me that in his background had been homosexual feelings and, and some experiences. But he said, that's not who I am. Uh, I, I, and he was a 100% believer in the church. He loved the Lord. He wanted to do everything right. And he did love me as absolutely best he could. He really did. And so after our and he had been fasting for a couple of days before he brought that subject up. And I just felt within myself that I wanted to move forward with this. Of course, this was back in the 70s. We married in 60s. In this, this was in the 60s. We, we married in 1966. And we didn't know very much about sexuality back then. And as far as the church teaching went, it was, this was just something evil. That, that, that a guy, I mean, he didn't even talk about women, but this was something evil that a man fell into. And it was, you know, a real, it was a satanic um, influence. And he just needed to repent and find a good woman to marry. And that would be, that would take care of it. And a lot of people, you know, really believed that and, and went into marriages that were just disastrous. And today, to some extent, that still does happen somewhat but not as much as it did before. So Gerald and I married, and uh, we had a good marriage in, in a, a lot of important ways. Uh, in, in Provo, uh, we, we had um, four children, and it was in the first year that Gerald realized that what he'd hoped for had not, was not going to happen. But his inner workings were still all the same, even though he, he desperately did not want to change the marriage. I mean, he, he, he loved the children. He loved me, and he wanted us to be together. Um, but things got more difficult for him. And after a move, a move from Provo to uh, Walnut Creek, California, in the East Bay, where I am now, 
uh, we we worked still to try to find ways to maintain. But Gerald knew that he was not going to, con- to always be able to be a married man. So ultimately, we did um, divorce and remain good friends. And he went off to seek his fortune. And um, seven years later, he passed away from AIDS. And that was in 1984. And he he passed away here in this home where I'm speaking to you now, um, where I was taking care of him at, at the end. And that was, of course, a gigantically difficult, tragic thing for me, for him, for everybody concerned. And he and I never had a conversation about the, the fact that I might write, write this story. Because actually, it was Gerald that turned me into a published writer. <laughs> the, the year that we married, he took these little poems of mine and said, Lawson, ah, we got to publish these. We're going to publish them. He was that exuberant and confident. So we borrowed $2,000 and, and put out 2,000 copies of Beginnings, which put me on the map in Mormondom in a strange, fluky, fateful, maybe, kind of way. Um, so I, I owe my pub, my career as a published writer to Gerald. Absolutely. No question about it. And I, I published a number of things between then and when this next book that we're speaking of now came about. And as I said, Gerald and I never talked about the idea that I might write our story. But it was soon after his death that well, I realized that, wow, if I dared, if I could. I would be able to help a lot of people because he and I had both learned an awful lot through through all of this. And so ultimately getting the permission of those that I needed to get permission from, I, I, I sent it to an agent and this was just the right thing at the right time and Random House snapped it up. And um, the book was published in the, the 86. And they put me on all of the big morning shows. I was on Good Morning America, subsequently on Oprah and Salt Lake City. And um, it was really a major thing. And as as you were suggesting, it was pretty much the first big thing that opened up a conversation in the LDS church community about this subject. And I was really terrified. Well, I, I felt confident that I needed to do this. I felt that it was important and that it was correct. I never get visions, revelations, voices, but I just knew in my soul that this was something important and that I was the one that had been, that life had chosen to do this. So, um, but, but when, uh, when my person at Random House called and said, uh, there's, there's a bookstore in Utah that's asked for an advanced copy, yes, read book. I remember I was just, I, I just could hardly breathe. I was so terrified. I thought I was going to become of this. What will happen from this? And then a couple of weeks later, she called and said, Desert Book has ordered a thousand copies of Goodbye, I Love You. And I know I just kind of started to cry. In fact, I can't even talk about that moment now without getting emotionally involved. Because it was such a relief. And I thought, it's going to be okay. 
And it was okay because except for the rarest uh, uh, exception, everybody seemed to be on board with understanding that this was an important thing and that it was a contribution. And 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 so and 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 this book had me do book signings at at their at their Salt Lake store uh, during general conference and then in Orem, and I, I began to get such amazing response from so many people. I remember when I first walked into that first book signing at Deseret Book. By the time we got in there, there was a long line of people just waiting for me to sign their book. And I thought each one of these people is someone who has a story behind them that is so painful, so shameful, that they never in the world imagined that they could be standing in line where there's going to be a book that's going to open up a new and invitingly compassionate world for them. But that's what happened. And and uh, it, it, Gerald said to me a number of times, said Blossom, and he always called me that. He said, I'm, I, I am so sorry that what we're experiencing is so painful. But I know that you and I agreed to do a project together before we came here. I know we did. And I'm sorry it's so painful, but this whatever we're doing here, we agreed to do. Uh, so I, I can believe that because I do know that the fruits of what he and I experienced together have been, as, as you have suggested, extremely helpful to untold numbers of LDS people and, and, and beyond the church as well. So that's, that's the initial story of, of how Goodbye, I Love You came to be, that, that put me on the map in a larger way, and that uh, really sh- sh- was, it was a shift in Mormon thinking. That's just priceless to hear that, Carolyn, and I'm sure many of our leader, le- readers, listeners feel the same way. That's just sacred ground you took us to. Um, I think as I'm remembering reading the book for the first time, I was struck that you didn't make your husband a villain. And so much of the narrative around gay people was, you know, I use the word villain. They were part of the problem. They were deceived by Satan. But here you rose above all that and, and brought your husband home, died in your home with AIDS, a disease in 1984 that we didn't know much about. but. It's just a beautiful love story. It's, and it taught me as a, as a reader how to respond because of the way you responded and the role modeling that you showed in your own marriage and in that own very difficult situation. I'm sure many people have different ways it's helped them. That's one of the ways it helped me to read that. Yeah. So helpful. Stories change hearts. So your courage to share that story has just been so helpful. More thoughts on that book, and, and or do you want to talk about the next book, or wherever you want to go? You've well, there's there are plenty of stories that I could tell that, that have come have come to me from people who read the book and just felt compelled to reach out to me, and and I began to put all their letters in files 
and I remember I made a file of of um, LDS uh, gay men, <clears throat> LDS lesbians, LDS parents of gay people. But the larger, the largest file that I developed was LDS without any connection to to a gay person, just just some ordinary gay person who wanted to thank me saying, I, I just didn't know anything about this subject. I want to thank you for, for educating me. So I, I, was, I was really thrilled to see that. And of course, that, that, it, that it transcended the LDS boundaries. It, it's been very useful for, for people of, of a lot of different religions and, and people of no religion, because it's just a, it's just a human story. So those who haven't, and the, the book is out of print now, but you can find it, used copies of it. And I'm sure you, many of the libraries have it. So I encourage those who have not read it to do so because it it is. And, you know, it, it's on the list of by, um, the Association for, for Mormon Letters recently compiled uh, the list of 100 most influential books in church history. And Goodbye, I Love You was one of them. That's great. Actually, Beginnings was another one of them because it, that did change the whole concept of, 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 um, of writing within, within the church community. So you take us to the next place that you'd like to <laughs> investigate, Richard. Well, listeners, um, Goodbye, I Love You. I did a, a Google search today, and it is out of print, but I saw it in a lot of different places. So if you want to find it, you'll find it. I saw it on eBay, and I just, um, if you want to go back to kind of square one in the story of our church and talking about this space, this would be a great book to read. And I'm grateful for this book. You could talk about No More Goodbyes. That you, you kept, you know, 20 years later, you came back with another book that I've read called no more goodbyes circling the wagons around our gay loved ones. So you could talk about that if you want to. You could have just sure. left the space, but you came back to it roughly 20 years later and probably was in the, obviously we're in the space the whole 20 years between. Right. And of course I thought that I had done everything I needed to do on that subject, but really this is the way it happened. And this is a little, little detour here, but See, my my real uh, writing love is the theater. I, I got a master's degree in theater at BYU, and I've written plays. Well, my turn on earth should be known by everybody listening, but I'm yes. sure it's not, which breaks my heart. So to shorten all this, I, I decided I wanted to write a play. And what could be a more dramatic circumstance than what I chose, and the play became Facing East, and it feeds, it's a, just has three characters. It's the story of an upstanding Mormon couple dealing with the suicide of their gay son. And that premiered in Salt Lake City and was a, a huge success, and we had to keep uh, rescheduling to, to open it up again and again. And actually, uh, that play received... The Deseret News is um, best drama of the year. Wow. Uh, tied with Hamlet at the Shakespeare Festival. Wow. <laughs> so Shakespeare and I were very pleased to, to share that. 
um, so because I had decided to write that play, I started thinking, you know, we're still, we're not where we need to be. We have made some kinds of progress. I know that we have individually, but maybe as a body, as a community, as a church, maybe we have not made a lot of observable progress. And so I got to thinking, well, maybe there's another book that should come out about the same time that the play does, and they could kind of inspire each other to, and to, to, for people to, to get it this way, and then, and then at the same time, this other way. And I could sell this book at the, at the uh, performances of the play. So I thought, okay, there's so many more stories besides mine now. And, and, and there's so many things still going wrong. So I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to address the goodbyes that we continue to say. Because, of course, the first book was called Goodbye, I Love You. And hopefully we would not be continuing to say unnecessary goodbyes on this subject. But we did, and we still do. And so I thought, well, all right, the obvious goodbyes that, are con- that we continue to say uh, on this subject are uh, concerning suicides, concerning ill-fated marriages concerning family alienations. And so those were the major uh, themes. And I went back and found a lot of stories that had come to me. And I contacted some people that I knew who were willing to share their story with me. So I just um, wrote and self-published this book, No More Goodbyes. And it, it became a very important book. To, to a lot of people, and it, it still is. So I'm glad that that's on your list of, of important things that I've contributed. And about a third of the stories are the really tragic ones, but about two-thirds of the stories are really good and encouraging and showing families that are, that are letting nothing come between them and their LGBTQ children and family members. So I think it's it's a it's a great example, specifically, of how families have succeeded in doing what we know needs to be done. This morning, I I received um, an email from a man that I have had contact with for decades, and he's a gay man, lived in Ephraim, Utah had a, a terrible time of condemnation from family, from community, and went on to create a good life for himself, uh, actually, in, in Chicago. But recently, he, he married. And so this is a paragraph that he, he, he sent to me this, uh, this morning. I'm just picking out a, a bit of it here. We were married by my brother's stepdaughter, a wonderful non-denominational minister, biracial, a head full of dreadlocks like my husband has. Seven of us siblings were together, all of them in great spirits, hugging and laughing. My one brother, a former stake president, who had caused me so much grief in the past with his judgments and admonitions, even horror at my, quote, dark life, 
actually found the venue for our ceremony and celebration and filmed the event to boot. He wasn't holding back his pleasure either. It was so much fun. We were married in Lehigh, Utah, and the ceremony ended with these words from the lovely minister. I am pleased to pronounce, and I'll just withhold the two names here, to be husbands sealed together today, both in law and in love. So, so that shows the, the progress that we have made over the decades. And that just kind of really thrilled me as I read it this morning. I, I'm not sure this is from your book, but I'm visualizing a picture of a young man alone in his bedroom with AIDS, um, with a picture of a, a temple in the background as part of his story. Is that part of this book, or am I confusing that with a different book? I don't have any visuals in the in the book, so, so it, it may be that you're finding that somewhere else. Okay. But I do remember this book having, how many stories are in this book, would you say, Carolyn? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 35 stories. Yeah. I don't know, quite a few. I think that's been one of your gifts is instead of sort of theoretically talking about this, you bring these stories to life and stories yeah. are, and you have a way of, of writing these stories that just change our hearts and touch us in a way that um, moves us in a way that is need, needed. I think that's one of your gifts. Well, story is magic. It just is. And the stories grab us and stories stay with us a lot longer than, than just philosophizing. Um, <clears throat> do you want to talk more about that or do you want to, uh, you know, we could just kind of keep going to the next book, which is I'll Walk With You. Um, if you'd like to do that, or if you'd like to stay on this book a little bit more. Um, I, I don't necessarily have new things to say about No More Goodbyes, just that it's been out there and gratefully received by a lot of people who have thanked me for it. Yeah, it's... But I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about um, I'll Walk With You. And unless, do you have something else you want to talk about with No More Goodbyes? Just... You know, I just think this is a terrific book. I love the cover art, and I just love the principle here is of goodbyes and the way you've extended that to keeping the family circle together to in, to reduce um, suicidality and the risks that people um, choose to die by suicide. And we encourage everybody that is suicidal to reach out to 988, text, call, or chat with them and find a way to live. We need you. But I just love that you talk about this in a way that is helpful. And it certainly helped me. And to be honest, my first book, the first book I wrote, I'm realizing this now I'm connecting more of the dots. When I chose to write about embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, that's as listeners that have read that would know, there's a lot of stories there. And I think I probably picked that up from your books. I'm just now connecting those dots. That well, see, I I, I, I don't own the idea of story. True. I'm sure that I, I'm I'm sure that you have received from many many areas and, and individuals the the power of of story. But I'm certainly glad that you you saw the the fact that that there's nothing more powerful than a story. Yeah. So um, talk about this next book. You, I don't know which came first, the song and the primary book 
or the book. Talk to us about that. Sure. Um, The little song in the primary songbook, I'll Walk With You, has really become one of the most loved of all all songs in that that book. And we sing it sometimes in in my ward, even in in Relief Society, we've sung it a time or two. In State Conference, we've sung it a time or two. Um, But I, I need to give credit where credit is due. So I want to confess that I did not myself think up the idea of writing that that song. The church asked me to write it. And when I say the church, I mean, uh, I was, I, I received a phone call from a woman whose name I can't recall right now, who identified herself as a member of the primary general board. And see, by that time, I had become really quite well known because, you know, beginnings just put me on the map and then other things did as well. And and this was also after Goodbye, I Love You came out. And most people in the church who knew what was going on and who knew of me knew that story. Pretty much, it seemed that just about everybody knew that that story of Goodbye, I Love You. So uh, that information was out at the time that this um, this sister um, in, in, the, in the primary general board called me and said, Carolyn, I'm calling to ask you to do something for us. She said, we have got our new primary songbook ready to go to press but we can't send it there is a song we do not have and we have got to have this song and we've we've had tried a number of people to write this for us and it just has not worked out so anyway we're asking you to try this would you please write this song for us this lyric and it, it needs to be something that invites us to be Inclusive and loving of everyone, because, you know, we have children who have handicaps. We have all kinds of different differences. And, you know, I would have to, I would have to bet that they would know that in my mind would also be the difference of our LGBTQ people. But she said, we, so if you could, if you could write a lyric for us, that would be just so wonderful. Will you try that? And, and I said to her, well, I will. I will try. I will try. So I remember I spent a few days and I, uh, I, come, I came up with that little lyric and I sent it to them and they loved it. And they sent it down to a, a fine composer, um, Nibley. What's his first name? Reed. Nibley. Is Reed. Reed Nibley. Yes, Reed Nibley. And, uh, and he wrote the music. And, you know, the music is not real easy. It, it, it's a little bit more complex than than many of the of the songs. So so they they put that song in the songbook, and the picture that they had was of a little girl in a wheelchair with somebody else beside her, and and they were thrilled and they were ready to send that book now out to the press. So that's how that song came about. And and I know it has become 
really loved by a lot of people. And, and it has taken a special place in the hearts of LDS gay people and their families. And I know I, I have seen, you know, the phrase on, on parade banners and various things having to do with, with all of that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm, I'm really glad because we should be walking with our LGBTQ sisters and brothers. We, we, there should be nothing that should keep us from walking with them and inviting them to walk with us as church members. And so that's that's how all of that happened. And and then uh, about the little book that you mentioned, a, a publisher that I've done a lot of work with, Gibbs Smith in Layton, Utah, asked me, "How about if if we made a little children's book, developing it from your lyric? Uh, I'll walk with you." And that had, had never, ever occurred to me. And, and I, I really had to figure out if I was legally able to do that. But so I went back to my files. And, but I, I, I remembered that, that when I received a phone call from oh, the music business office or whatever and said, uh, do you want to keep the, the um, not, not the copyright, but the, the commercial right to to your lyrics and I'll walk with you? Or do you want to just give them over to the church? I remember he said, Reed Nibley is giving everything over to the church, but you know, whatever you want. And I don't know why I even gave it a thought, but I thought, well, I can't imagine I do anything with it. But I said, I, I will keep the commercial rights to, to that lyric. And, and so it, it was, I had every right to, to take that and, and, and create it into that little book that has become a very popular a little book and as you as you observe you know as in in the song we just talk about i'll walk with you i'll talk with you um but it goes into various ways that that other people are different and i will continue to you know to be your friend and to be to, to be with you and then we have that one little section where it says if you don't love as uh, some people do, some people think your love's not true. But I won't, I won't. I'll watch you share. I'll know you care. That's how I'll show my love for you. And, you know, and there's nothing about that that is in any way blatant or offensive. It, 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 just, it just flows along with all of the other things, and some people might not even notice it. But, but those who want to notice it are really thrilled to have it there well that book's in our home and i think the art is by jane sanders who's done such a good job and my favorite line if there's a is of of all the lyrics it's hard to have a favorite carolyn but this line jesus walked away from none yeah is my yeah. favorite line of that mm -hmm. whole song yeah sure and then that's true Jesus walked away from none. He gave his love to everyone. So I will. I will. And wouldn't that solve <laughs> every single problem that this world has if everyone chose to follow that? People who claim to be Christians and do not always behave with Christian intent or, or the way that Jesus mapped things out, 
or people of every other faith. Uh, every, every religion has in its own language the golden rule, and we have it from Jesus. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, you know, it, it just boggles the mind to think that even people who claim to be followers of, followers of Christ, that that's not very high on their list of, of, of things to wake up in the morning and think about. Oh, I, 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 should be, I should be thinking here about the simple things that Jesus told me to do. And if, if everyone did that, or the, the same kinds of philosophies that are evident from every other great spiritual teacher in our history, and Jesus is the one that we know most particularly, and that we have this, this tremendously unique place for in our religion and, and in our hearts. But if, if all of us just followed that simple thing and woke up in the morning and said, Jesus walked away from them. He gave his love to everyone. So I will. I will. And then we go to work, then we go to school, then we deal with our difficult family members, and then we do all of that, and, and we make mistakes, and we, we do not behave the way Jesus taught us. But if we stop ourselves and say, whoops, I just, I just fell down here, I got to pick myself up, because that's not the way Jesus asked me to behave. It's, it's, it's simple. It, it, is, it is not easy to do, but it is simple. Once we isolate that that call that Jesus gave us, and and go go around just singing to yourself when you're making mistakes, Jesus walked away from none. He gave his love to everyone. So I will, I will, <laughs> and you know, just the, the, those little words. Uh, the, the words of Jesus that 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 uh, that I was fortunate enough to be able to to uh, put in this particular context that is just such a privilege and and i'm I'm just thrilled that that, that uh, people are singing that all over the place. I love that you just sang a little bit for us. That was yeah. great. <laughs> I just, this visual imagery of I'll walk with you, you're right. I picked that up. There's a whole Facebook group of LDS parents supporting their LGBTQ kids that's named that. And um, yeah. I see that in so many different um, areas, that principle being taught. And that's sort of, you know, I've talked about it in this podcast quite a bit is for my LGBTQ friends, I always invite you to follow church teachings, but I'll let you self-determine or or honor your own agency, and I'll walk with you on what path you feel is best for you without condition, unless it's creating harm for somebody, which it's not, um, as they're just making their way forward. So I just, that's the way, as an ally, I've approached this space, and I just love the I'll walk with you. And I think sometimes we complicate things in a way that doesn't need to be complicated. I saw a tweet the other day from my friend Jim Bennett. He said, he, it's, a, it's a sarcastic listeners, but I think it teaches a point. Quote, my goal is to get to the judgment bar and be damned forever for loving my neighbor too much. <laughs> <laughs> and you're laughing too. And I think sometimes we think, you know, walking with people 
um, is getting us sideways with God because to truly love and follow Him, we should separate ourselves from some people. And maybe you could comment on that, but I think the best way we can show we love our heavenly parents is by walking with their children and supporting and loving and bringing unity even in differences. Thoughts on that, Carolyn? Well, I don't have anything more to say about it than yes, that that's that's absolutely it. There, you know, we could go on and on forever, just making new illusions and more examples. But what you say here and what we have been talking about together is is simply the truth. We are here not to judge one another, but to love one another. Um, that's powerful. Thank you. There's a couple more books. Um, one is Finding Mother God. So we haven't even talked about Heavenly Parents and our Heavenly Mother, and you gave a great um, talk at Restore Faith matters restore um in late 2022 i'd encourage our listeners to listen to your talk i think it's available through faith matters i love that talk i was there for that and um, i just love the way you're bringing voice to mother god so do you want to talk about this book finding mother god and some of your thoughts in that space for our listeners sure how many hours do you have here? This is the <laughs> challenge, I want, listeners. I, 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 want, I want to read the whole book, and it'll take about three hours. So, okay. <laughs> um, okay, let me um, get into this part of it by letting people know that I was born into what we call women's issues. As a, as a teenager, I was alive and awake and wondering why it appears that I am a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven when I'm as smart and as good as any boy in my class. And, and I remember, you know, the whole concept of eternal polygamy came in as, 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 as a rude awakening to something terribly wrong with what I was being taught. And, and that, that continued to, to be so. And, and later on, um, and just in the last few years, I wrote a very powerful book, The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy, Haunting the Hearts in Heaven of Mormon Women and Men. So early, early on, I was very much aware of what we call the women's issues, which just means that in this paradigm that we call patriarchy, where men rule, women do not have the same amount of influence in terms of the organization. You know, women are asked to make have their influence be in the home and to just understand that that's the most important place for them. And indeed, that is partially true. But the other part of the truth is that women's influence belongs everywhere in this world. And so I was born into women's issues, and then I married into gay issues. <laughs> and these are, you know, kind of brother and sister issues because they, they both look at gender. And, and, and Gerald and I were aware of that, that he brought his gender issues and I brought my gender issues. And he was very supportive of everything that I was doing. And I think the first book I wrote after Goodbye, I Love You was a book called uh, Daughters of Light 
I collected spiritual experiences of the early LDS women because and, and we were a lot better at doing women's history now than we were back then. Um, so anyway, I have throughout my entire life felt called to and the, 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 the words that I used in that talk that you recall from the, the meeting, that huge, wonderful meeting called yeah. Restore, that we are here in a historical moment. And just as when as history moved along and the, the Middle Ages had to give way to the Enlightenment because history required that. And where we are now, we are calling, I firmly believe, and this is the way I put it in that talk that you're remembering, that we are called to cross the rocky plains of patriarchy into the promised land of partnership. Now, partnership is a beautiful, beautiful word. And it doesn't mean that men and women have to do all the same things. I, I, I do think, you know, and we're still sorting this out, and it's really, really tricky. But I think men have wonderful masculine gifts to give. Women have wonderful feminine gifts to give. And now, see, we, we could easily step in the mud about all the people who are listening here because they have gender experience that is more complicated than that. And, and I honor the, the feelings that they're having right now that I, I may have just simplified something way, way too much. So now, now let me tell you how when, when Gerald and I had our, our conversations about the huge pain that I was going through and my, my intense wish to convince him that, we, that he as a man and I as a woman needed to be together because the male and the female are balance something. And, and he would, and more than once he said to me, bless him, I know what you're saying. Male and female do have to balance each other. But there are some of us for whom the maleness and the femaleness is inside of us as individuals. And that did not make sense to me. And it, it is still sort of foreign territory for my brain and my experience because I've not had that experience. But I know that many, many people who are listening to these words that is the experience that they have, and I honor it. And so in terms of the gender of God, and I know that there are people who, who are a little uncomfortable with the idea of bringing Heavenly Mother um, strongly back into the picture, because it's another underlining of the heterosexual union that, that leaves LGBTQ people out. And I do not have a good answer for that. I don't know exactly what God looks like. I cannot draw God, father, mother on, on a, a blackboard. And, and I think somehow, whatever it is, how, however, see, Richard, you and I are little kindergarten people right here talking about things that are postdoctoral in complexity and import. 
And so acknowledging that I am a little kindergarten person (laughs) discussing the gender of God, all I want to say about it is when and if we, we finally see the entire picture, I do not know what it will look like. I just know that in some way or other, there will be a perfect, beautiful balance of what we call male and female. And that's as far as I want to go on that. But at the moment, I think a step that needs to be taken is one that I have personally been called to take. Because for a long time, it was very clear to me. And Catholic theologian, Mary Daly put it very succinctly when she said, if God is male, the male is God. Now, I think most of us would agree uh, that there's an excess of patriarchy around this world. That if there was a partnership in some way of maleness and femaleness, things would be simply better. So. In, in, I think in order for us as human beings down here, in our marriages, in our relationships in general, for us to have a place of real equal valuing and respect. Now, I'm going to quote another, another person, a British writer, Virginia Woolf, who said, men and women are different. What needs to be made equal is the value placed on those differences. So that's another thing that's, that swims around in my head that, that is, is not a final answer, but is part of the puzzle. And so it has been clear to me for a long time that our community, our, our world is unhealthy. Our church community is unhealthy in a number of ways, a primary one is that we always speak of our divine parentage as singular and male, with a little footnote that says somewhere we've a mother there. And and I want to, to really ex- suggest very strongly uh, that, and you know, I, I know... Uh, LDS women who say, oh, it doesn't bother me that, that, that God is male. Well, why should that bother anybody? God loves me. He's, and he's, he's my father. I don't, I don't need it. But I want to suggest that as we go to sacrament meeting week after week after week, and Sunday school and Relief Society and everywhere in our church experience, as, as we sit there hearing wonderful things that we constantly, because we constantly hear male pronouns for our most sacred phenomena, which is what goes on in heaven, our, our heavenly parentage, because we are always, almost, almost always, you know, occasionally hearing the words heavenly parents, once in a while hearing the word father and mother in heaven. 
Um, and that had been sort of, I think, developing until recently when it's kind of been called into question. Agreed. Um, but it, it's, it's my belief that as we sit in all of our meetings, as we read our scriptures, as we, as, as we, as our brain cells and our heart cells receive the concept of the highest measure of creativity and divinity as male, it affects our psyches in a way that is damaging. It affects the female psyche in a way that is damaging. It affects the male psyche in a way that is damaging. It affects the little girls who watch their brothers pass the sacrament, and they don't have some kind of an equal kind of contribution. I, I propose that our spirits, our hearts, our psyches, our spirits are damaged by not having a balance in the concept of divinity when we attend our church meetings. And I feel personally called that that's something I came here to do. Now I seem to have come here to do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> but this one has been with me forever. And see, back in the, in, in the late 80s, uh, I, I was just so on fire about this. And there are some of your, your viewers, your, your listeners, who will, who will remember this, this creation of mine. But I, I wrote and produced and presented, acted in. I was the only person in this one-woman play called Mother Wolf the Morning. I played 16 women throughout history in search of the female face of God. And I, I performed that over 300 times throughout the 90s. It was a big hit in Utah when I brought it there. And it made some of the brethren uncomfortable. Um, but it was wonderful. And, and that, that is available now on DVD. In fact, I'm, I'm currently many, I, I'm in process of trying to get a, a streaming. So it's will awesome. be more awesome. widely available. Because that's, that's an amazing piece. It really is. So... So I, and I was so excited about doing that, you know, just scared me to death. Can you imagine being out on stage for over two hours, presenting to an audience the need for God the Mother? But, but I had huge audiences in all, all the places that I went. And um, well, almost all. There were two places that, that, that I lost money. But I, I went in so many places. I'm, and my stake president then came to see me in, in, in San Francisco when I played for, a, for six months there on, on the weekends. And he brought important friends of his because, with him because he wanted to show off that we can do things like this in, in our church. And that was back in the and in the 90s, when some people who are listening, who are aware, there were some excommunications going on for people stepping out of line. And, and my, my stake president said to me, yes, I get calls from, and I later learned he had received calls from Salt Lake City seven different times saying, should we be doing something about Sister Pearson? 
And he said, I say to them, leave her alone. She does a better PR for this church than you could ever buy. Leave her alone. So that was my experience. And that has been my general experience with my stake presidents, whom I have loved, every one of them, and who have loved me and my bishops as well. So what I'm saying here is that this subject of bringing the concept of God the Mother back has been with me since my earliest teenage awareness that something was missing. And I thought that I had done everything I was going to do uh, about that play. But as you said, there is a book that just came out a few, three years ago. Um, and, and because I, and I won't go into all of why I decided to do that, but I just decided I was not finished with that subject. So I wrote this book of poems called Finding Mother God, Poems to Heal the World. And it's, it's, it's been a, a, a very popular book with a, a lot of people purchasing it for their families, for their friends. And, and I, I love it. I had such a good time writing all of those poems. So I want to invite everybody to check out that book as well. If you want to go to my website, you can get signed copies of all the, the books that we're talking about here. But Finding Mother God is just such an important mission that we should all be on because we live in a motherless house. And that's one of the poems. That's, uh, in fact, I'm told by historians that carefully watched things in the church that my, my poem, A Motherless House, was one of the first things that was published a long time ago that brought this subject to to the surface so we do in our lds community in which there are so many wonderful beautiful things happening there is also something tragic going on and it is this we live spiritually in a motherless house and i believe every one of us has the calling and the opportunity in, which, in whatever way feels good to us individually to invite the mother back into the family. It's a really powerful segment, Carolyn. I remember you're taking me back to your Restore speech at Faith Matters where you talked about some of these things. And I remember this idea of a motherless house, and I thought about my own house growing up where I had a a really strong mother and a really strong father, and I saw them as equals contributing to our household. And then I saw, then I shifted in my mind as you were speaking to our church community where there's not that balance that I saw in my own household. And yeah, our household was, you know, dad called on someone to say the prayer, so it wasn't completely equal, but Uh it was a different, I don't feel like I grew up in a motherless home with my family, but I Uh recognized the the point you're making within our faith community and and how that's you know and how we can do better in that space and listeners will link to carolyn's restore talk speech in the show notes as well as these books but that restore faith matters was terrific you've also been on um, faith matters talking about finding mother god a whole episode so we'll link to that in the show notes so Kind of look at this podcast if you're listening to Carolyn Pearson for the first time as kind of an umbrella indexing 
podcast where we'll connect in the show notes if you want to go deeper on any of these subjects. Listeners, when I, I've learned when I get uncomfortable, and sometimes I get uncomfortable when someone's introducing a new concept to me. Um, and sometimes I got, I'll be honest, I got just a little uncomfortable with some of the things you're sharing at Faith Matters because they were new. And listeners, what I've learned to do is sit with that. And is, and is that uncomfortableness the changes I need to make in me to lead to personal growth I need to make? And that's what I felt as I was listening to your, is, as a male, <laughs> and you were introducing things to me in a very thoughtful way, and I think consistent with our doctrine, of views that I needed to adjust. And to, to do that, for me anyway, it causes me to be a little uncomfortable because I have to deprogram some stuff out of me. And I, I, that's the way I process these kind of things, listeners, when I first hear some of these stories about LGBTQ people or some of the things Carolyn's talking about. I just look at it as this growth that I need to make to better be, you know, to better create Zion and better be like Jesus. So I loved your Faith Matters speech, and I love everything you're sharing, and it helps me um, and hopefully others grow. One of the podcasts come to mind, listeners, of that I just referenced briefly is we did a podcast with a BYU law student. She um, was going out on... I think a date and prayed to be safe to her father in heaven. And during that, whatever it was encountered, she was raped and she, she sort of lost trust in all men, including heavenly father. And you've probably heard these kind of stories, Carolyn, but asked her how she remained faith. And she says, I was connected to heavenly mother. And it was an eye-opening insight to me about the role of heavenly mother to connect, keep her, connected to the divine and allow her to heal um, in a way that I had never considered. Rape is brutal, but then to a logical thing would be to not trust God or all men, especially when she prayed, asking to be safe. And so I just recognize that as one example of the importance of, of, you know, we have a motherless house and how for her, she didn't have a motherless house and it was helpful for her to healing. And I would guess there's I don't want to say this is just a women that need heavenly mother because I need heavenly mother. I think, sure. I think I'm a better man um, and have better balanced attributes with heavenly mother in my life. So this isn't just for women. This is for guys like me um, and the growth of that course. I can make. By, and you've made that, you know, of having heavenly mother. So um, more thoughts on that before we shift to the last book. No, I just want to invite everybody who feels to 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 pick up that little book. You 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 will just love it. You will. And I hope you finding Mother God. These are all autographed, as Carolyn mentioned. So on our website, all the books we're talking about, we're going to talk about the love map next. But finding Mother God is autographed copy. What a treasure! I'll walk with you. An autographed copy. These are only like fifteen ninety five or twelve ninety nine. So it's not like you're making yes, and, bank on and, these. <laughs> right. And personally autographed, you know, with the name of whoever you want to have. Oh, that's in the book. Oh, yeah. So talk about in the last segment, <clears throat> just the love map. The most yes. recent book. This is the most recent thing I have written. And it's just this, something that's haunted me for a couple of decades. And I've done various versions of it. And I didn't like what I did. But I finally found a voice to do this. And this is a short book. It's fiction. And it's true. 
That's what I have on the back of the book. And uh, the, 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 the title, The Love Map, and the subtitle, Saving Your Love Relationship and Incidentally Saving the World. It's a fun story, but it's a powerful story. And I, I borrow for, for this some of the concepts that a lot of people know the word chakras. But, you know, in, in, our, in our LDS terminology, we, I, I love a phrase that we use, which is eternal progression. And people who are go to yoga, or most everybody has heard of, you know, the, the, the chakra system that is supposedly, you know, the energy, energy wheels that go from the, 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 the base of the spine up through the various important centers up to the top of the, of the head. And in my story, I have this young woman whose who's wonderful marriage is, seems to be maybe on the rocks after three years. And it just started out to be the most magnificent thing that ever happened. And she is taken on a, a journey. She works for Google. She's assigned to go to Jerusalem. She um, has a, a, a terrible experience there with a, in a cafe with a, a bomb accident and in the hospital and she's anyway she in in the, the night that she's trying to recover she has a vision and her higher self appears to her and leads her through this journey that she says joanna you came here to be a, to, on a hero's journey you want to know how to save your love relationship we're going to find out and it'll be up to you to do that and you'll also be one who will be able to save the world if you can save your love relationship. Well, see, that's a crazy thought. But there is this whole idea of the tipping point, and why not? You know, things build, 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 and then the last straw breaks the camel's back, or the tipping point sends everything into a whole new direction. And I or you could be the tipping point if we're able to take our difficult relationship and to turn it into one that is centered in the fourth i call it the kingdom or the fourth chakra of the heart when you know we all of us we, we move up from the, the the first which is survival the second which is emotion sexuality reproduction the third which is abdomen the power the will and then the next great step is moving out of the third kingdom up into the fourth, which is the heart, which is love. And most relationships have some measure of being stuck in the third. And our world today, politically and geographically, where we, we are, there's so much my will over your will, my power over your power. When Jesus and every other great master has called us to move out of the place of power up into the heart, how often did Jesus use the word heart and love? So love is what is in the, the, the kingdom that we're all striving for. And then, of course, we have the, the, the uh, three other higher ones. But this story is focused on helping our, 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 our protagonist, Joanna, move in her relationship out of the place of my will over your will 
up to the place of your good is my good. Because with yeah, and, and the, with the abdomen, we have the, 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 the guts is where the power rests and the heart is where love rests. So when we combine guts with heart, there's nothing we cannot do. And that's just a little teaser for, for this story, which is a really, it's a fun story. And, and you can guess that it ends happily, or I would never have written this story. <laughs> but we go through all of the, the, the general challenges that everybody has, that our world has. And honestly, if enough people in our own personal lives and in our relationships can move our awareness and our activity and our spiritual energy out of the abdomen, out of the power, out of the control, up into the place of love where Jesus called us to live. That's what will save the world. And we are called to do that. We all are. So this is a, 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 a fairly quick read. It's just 140 pages. And it, it's very entertaining, but it's very powerful. And I invite you all to go to my website or go to Amazon. If you just can't wait, you just can't wait, go to Amazon right now and, and get a copy of The Love Map. Or if you want to wait and get one signed by me to you or your girlfriend with her name on it, go to my website. But uh, I, that's my most recent thing. And of course, it, it, it echoes every other thing I've done, you know? Love is what has to happen in our relationship with our LGBTQ people. Love is what will be increased when we bring God the Mother back into the picture. And love is the only thing we're here to, to learn about, to do. You know, people who have these near-death experiences, I've always wanted to have one without nearly dying. <laughs> but everybody who comes back from them say, what I learned is that we are here to learn about the world, and mostly to learn how to love. So that's it. That's just it. And everything that invites us to be more loving is correct and true and deserves our allegiance and our devotion. So that's what we're here for, Richard. And that's all I have to say about that. I just... Don't want to add any words, listeners, because I don't want to detract from that closing segment from Carolyn. So on behalf of all of our listeners and all the people in our faith community and well beyond that you've blessed, thank you, Carolyn Pearson, for your work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And listeners, go to the show notes for all the things we've talked about. You can find links there if you'd like to go a little bit further. So this is Carolyn Pearson and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.